I need your help this morning. When you think of the word home, what words come to your mind? Love, that's a good one, yes. What else? Family, warmth, yes, yes. Jeannie. I assume you are related to Jeannie. Yes, married to Jeannie. Excellent. That's a good answer. That's a very good answer. Yes, yes. What else? Heaven. Ah, that's a good one, isn't it? Yes, that's another sermon, though. We'll save that for later. Yes. Oh, amen. Amen. Yes. And I think of many of these things, too, when I think of the word home. In fact, when I look back on my, my younger years, when I would still at least occasionally live at home, the happiest times involve some of the very same words that you just mentioned. Uh, you know, if my mother were here, she would confess readily that she's not much of a cook, but her granola smelled great and tasted great too. And her French toast, oh, that was just excellent. When I woke up on a Sunday morning smelling French toast, I knew it was going to be a good day at home. If I was with my dad and my stepmother, my stepmother can cook for an army. I never feared if I brought friends home if there would be enough food. There would be leftovers for the next week. We would, we would eat like kings. Uh, good friends. If you're home, good friends are probably not far away. Isn't that true? You know, home is often a place we have some roots and some time, and so we've developed friendships around us. For me, home was where my dog was. There was always a dog somewhere, and, and, and we had various dogs over the years, and I loved them all. It was good to be there. And how about one's own bed? Those of you that travel know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, it doesn't matter if, if, if someone spends $300 for a hotel for me or $1,000 or $55.95 at Motel 4 and a half. It doesn't matter. All of the beds are the same. They have giant holes in the middle of them with springs sticking through and my feet hang off the end. That's just the way that it goes, okay? But when I come home, my bed is ready for me and I sleep better there than any place else. Home is where your bed is. And you know, when all of these kinds of things come together, it is no longer a house that we are in. It is instead home sweet home. Now, contrast that with this little vignette. Halfway through my junior year of high school, we moved. Uh, my stepfather at the time was, uh, uh, he worked on the space shuttle program. He did launch software for the shuttle. And uh, this is in the mid-80s. Challenger exploded. And when Challenger exploded, there was no more space shuttle for the West Coast. And with an office literally filled with, with dozens and dozens of engineers and programmers, etc., they fired them all until my stepfather was the last guy standing. And they said, we're going to fire you two unless you move to Florida. And so in the middle of my junior year, uh, I went from Monterey Bay Academy, where I was absolutely thrilled to be. We had 500 plus kids. It was like the place. If you're on the central west coast there in California, Monterey Bay was where you went. And I had a great time for one semester. And then we moved all the way across the country to Florida to Forest Lake Academy. And I can remember it as though it happened yesterday. Uh, my, my stepfather, my mother, and I, we drove up in the rental car to Forest Lake Academy and parked in the parking lot there next to the ad building and the guy's dorm. And my mom went into the ad building and undoubtedly forked over large amounts of cash. And she came back. We pulled my luggage out of the back of the car, handed it to me. She gave me a kiss in the cheek and said, we've got to run. There's a condo that we need to go sign on real quick. And they drove away. 
And this is kind of like one of those forlorn Norman Rockwell photos. I mean, I, I am standing there in the parking lot with my suitcases, looking up at the three stories of Guy's dorm. I've never been here before. I don't know a soul on this campus. And home sweet home, whatever was left of it, moving to Florida, had just drove out of the parking lot. Some of you sitting here right now may know what I'm talking about. Because some of you sitting here right now are new to our campus. Maybe you are a freshman. Maybe you are a a transfer student. And uh, perhaps it didn't happen exactly like it did with me when my folks dropped me off at Forest Lake Academy. But you know what I speak of when I say I was not feeling like this was home sweet home. Perhaps you just got here, you're nervous, you're lost, you don't know where many things are. Maybe it's the first time that you have been away from home for any extended length of time. There are no friends in sight, but there's lots of strangers, people that you don't know, and maybe, just maybe, you might be feeling a little bit scared about being here on this campus. Well, if you're feeling that way this morning, you should know that I know how you feel. You see, I'm a freshman here at Andrews University. (laughs) I just got here. I I am new here, and there have been times in the last six weeks when I have felt nervous. There have been times when I have felt lost. In fact, no joke, I have gotten lost in this building. I thought for sure that this staircase that I was going up led to this area, and I could get from there. And you can't get there from here. It was not, it, it was difficult having to ask somebody, where am I in my own church building where I pastor? Uh, there's a few old friends in sight, but there's lots of new people that I'm just getting to know. And there have been times when I have been tempted even to feel a little bit scared. But... I know, I know, that I am going to be okay. And if you're new here, or maybe you're just feeling far from home for whatever reason, whether you are new here or not, I know that you can know that you're going to be okay too. Let me show you how I know that. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Daniel, the third chapter, beginning with verse 1. This is a very famous story. In fact, people that uh, have no exposure to the Bible, that are not Christians of any sort, they will know some phrases that are in daily life today that came from this story. That's how famous it is. The Bible is a very influential book, and one of those very influential stories is the one that we are about to read. Let me read a little bit here, and then we'll we'll start doing some digging. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1 says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold... 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the, here's the list, satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials, 
to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Pause there, please. A little background will be helpful if you are new to this story. Uh, This story takes place in uh, the the late 7th century, early 6th century BC. Uh, This is a a story involving, obviously, King Nebuchadnezzar as the central uh, human figure here. King Nebuchadnezzar was uh, really the second at least as far as kings of, uh, uh, of power and authority in the Neo-Babylonian Empire. You see, in about 626 or so BC, his grandfather Nabopolassar had resurrected the Babylonian Empire. Hundreds of years earlier, there had been a Babylonian Empire. It had fallen into weakness and disrepair. This is the Neo-Babylonian Empire, and it was a force to be reckoned with. Nebuchadnezzar particularly put Babylon on the map as the most powerful force in that very wide region of the world. In chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream. And the dream troubled him greatly. It was, it was a dream of, of this statue, and it was made of, of different metals. It had a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, and feet mixed of iron and clay. And at the end of a dream, this big rock comes from heaven and hits the feet, destroys the statue, and the rock becomes a kingdom that fills the earth, never to be removed. The king wakes up, and he can't figure out what the dream is. And in those days, dreams were widely considered to mean something. This was a message from the gods, as far as Nebuchadnezzar was concerned. So he calls in his people. Long story short, he can't find anybody amongst his people that's going to help. But Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are given the interpretation from God. Uh, And they share with Nebuchadnezzar what the interpretation is. Some of you know this. Artist representation of what the, the, the idol, the statue in the dream might have looked like. The head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron feet of iron and clay. God made the interpretation of the dream clear. Nebuchadnezzar, 605 BC, when his reign began, he and the Neo-Babylonian kingdom represented the head of gold, but they would not last. They would be followed by another nation, the Medes and the Persians, 539 BC. They were represented by the chest and arms of silver. Belly and thighs of brass, that represented Greece. Alexander the Great, you know, swiftly taking his armies across, destroying the Medes and the Persians, 330 BC. The legs of iron, of iron were just representations of Rome. The strength, iron Rome was there. It lasted for centuries until the 5th century AD. The feet of iron and clay, Rome would eventually dissolve into what we now know as the divided nations of Europe. And they remain divided today. It is in the days of this divided authority in Europe that Jesus will return. What a dream. And what a privilege it ought to have been to have received it. You know, king or not, Nebuchadnezzar should have been deeply humbled by what was happening here in that dream. But instead he was insulted. How come? Because the entire thing was not made of gold. He wanted his kingdom to last forever. And so to prove that point, to make sure that everybody understood that uh, he wanted his kingdom to last forever and that it would last forever, he sets up this statue, really an idol for worship, on the plain of Dura, what would be called modern-day Iraq today. It's an arid place. There was lots and lots of space there in the desert. And Nebuchadnezzar invites everybody, I shouldn't say invite, commands everybody who is anyone to come and to be here on this occasion. The place was absolutely packed with VIPs, every news outlet 
of the day was undoubtedly there, and suddenly a hush falls over the crowd. The trumpets sound a fanfare, and the king's spokesman makes a proclamation. Let's read it here, verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, this may be the first recorded instance of a motivational speaker. <laughs> and this is, this is powerful motivation. I mean, talk about incentive. The furnaces that are being referred to here, we don't know this for certain, but probably they were kilns, as, as in for baking bricks. You see, this 90-foot-tall this statue, this idol, probably was not made of solid gold. I mean, metallurgically speaking, solid gold, that much of it would, would probably bend under its own weight pretty quickly. And so probably there was instead a framework that was done of these clay bricks that were baked in these kilns, and then it was overlaid with gold. Well, those kilns were still there, and they were hot. Any of, any of you ever done ceramics before? You, you, you do not want to put your hand into one of those ovens when you're, when you're firing something. It, it, hundreds and hundreds, over a thousand degrees, some of these things can get. And as promised, the music sounds... And Nebuchadnezzar looks on with delight as this sea of humanity becomes a wave of humanity bowing down to this image. Face down, feet back. Seemingly the whole world is bowing down by the thousands to worship the glorious golden image just as they had been commanded to do by the most powerful government in that part of the world. Does that scenario sound familiar to anybody who's familiar with Bible prophecy? You know, we're not going to take the time to do it today, but if we were to read in Revelation chapter 13, we would find that at the end of time, all who, quote, dwell on the earth will worship an antichrist power, a power that has placed itself in place of Jesus Christ. And by doing so, by extension, they will essentially be worshiping Satan. And it's almost as though, right here in Daniel chapter 3, that the devil is getting a practice run for the very end of time. Near universal worship done his way has long been the dream of Satan. At the end of time, he will get much of his wish as most of the world will follow him. And we can be sure that he took good notes that day on the plain of Dura, knowing that the lessons learned here just might work in his favor in the future. How pleased Satan must have been at his triumph that day. And how pleased Nebuchadnezzar must have been at his triumph that day. Until he wasn't pleased anymore. For the sea of humanity bowing down to his statue had actually three points of humanity that we're still standing. Now, remember, we are, we are encouraged to enter into the stories of the Bible. So, you know, just picture this out there. Thousands of people, everybody who is anyone, power and authority, if, if they've got it, they're there, and they are bowing down. But you've got to know there's somebody peeking. 
Somebody's got to be like this. Mm, okay, is anybody not? Ooh, look, look. Could it be? Not just one, not just two. Three guys standing next to each other, sticking out like three sore thumbs, thumbs among this, 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 this sea of people that are out there. Just three that are standing there. And apparently, apparently, the word travels quick. Psst, get a load of those guys in there. No, don't put your head up. Look, just kind of look at you. Three guys standing there. And Nebuchadnezzar gets word, and there is absolutely no way that somebody with Nebuchadnezzar's ego is going to let this one slide. Absolutely impossible. This will not be tolerated, and the king, sure enough, springs into action. Take a look at verse 13. Furious with rage, I suppose, as opposed to being pleasant or happy with rage, I don't know, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Again, it is almost certain that these three friends could see one of these furnaces. Perhaps there had been actually one prepared, perhaps a little larger than the others. We don't know, but, but maybe there was something just in case Nebuchadnezzar was planning ahead. They could see, might even be able to have heard the crackling of the flames, see the plume of heat rising from the top of the kiln. There was no doubt, therefore, as to the king's intentions should they deny his request a second time. Their lives were at stake. Clearly, what should they do? Time out for just a moment. What would you have done if you were in their sandals that day? You've been called up onto the, the dais there where, where the king is, is a, I mean, the king is not down on the sand here in the dirt. He, he is undoubtedly raised up on some sort of a stand. The greatest of the great are there with him. You have just been called up standing before the most powerful man in that part of the world. He could kill you right now if he wanted to. What would you do? You know, because the story is so familiar, it's, it's tempting to quickly jump to the end and imagine ourselves in that role, what they did eventually, historically speaking. But to do so may be to ignore the fact that these men had options. Say options? Well, sure. Sure they had options. I, I, I mean, think about how reasonable obedience to the king must have seemed. And think of the excuses that could have run through these three men's heads. It's just one time they could have thought, surely God will understand. Or how about this? The king has been so good to us, and indeed he had been. The king was the one that elevated these three to their current positions. We ought to respect him. We certainly don't want to embarrass him, especially in front of all of his subjects on a special day like this. Or how about this? 
We have loved ones that we take care of. We don't want to abandon them for the sake of a little thing like this, just a moment in the desert sand. Or how about this? I know that God doesn't like idol worship, but that's probably just a preference that he has. And besides, while I am bowing down to the idol, I'll just worship God in my mind. After all, the Bible says, man looketh on the outside, but God looketh at the heart. Oh, how the mind can bob and weave when good and evil clash, and the price for us is high. But if these rationalizations came into these three young men's heads, there's no record of it. And instead, we can know for a fact that these three young men knew the Scriptures. They knew the Bible of their day. There was no question what God had commanded them to do in this situation. For God had made His will crystal clear. Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, God had said, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. This was not rocket science. These men knew exactly what answer they were to give to the king. And without hesitation or rationalization of any kind, this is what they said. Verse 16 of chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. And then comes what I think is one of the most powerful verses in all of the Old Testament. Verse 18, but even if he does not... We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Someone say amen. 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 What an answer. I mean, what faith, what firmness of conviction of all the things they could have said. And this is what they choose. Amen. Amen. What an answer. And as far as Nebuchadnezzar was concerned, what foolishness. And he acted swiftly. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. The Hebrew here refers specifically to his face. I mean, he went from rageful to just utterly, utterly consumed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, in other words, kindling, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. End of movie, credits roll. The end. Blessedly, no, but my guess is most people watching that day thought that that was the case. I mean, even the soldiers, I mean, let's just understand this now. Even the soldiers who did not go into the fire, when they got close to it, they were killed. I mean, mean, the unmistakable message is, if it kills even those who just get close to it, it must utterly and completely destroy those who actually are thrown into that fire. Surely no one would ever disobey the king 
ever again. Or would they? Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was there a hair of their head singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who are new here, for those of you who may be nervous or fearful, for those of you that for whatever reason are feeling far from home this morning, three lessons from this story. Lesson number one, there is no fire too hot for Jesus. There is no fire that is too hot for Jesus. Uh, Whether you're just feeling a little bit homesick or or, or full-scale oppressed, whatever it is, whatever fire you are going through right now, Jesus is not scared of it. Jesus is flame-proof. For him, the fires that would otherwise torch us are like a gentle breeze, a walk in the park, a stroll on a cool summer's evening. He is not phased by the fires we walk through, nor harmed by them. And if he finds you in the fire, he will definitely not run away. But instead, if you will invite him in, he will come right into that fire with you. You know, we're told in Psalm 23, that fam- most famous of the Psalms, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God can be right there with us. Jesus feels our pain. He knows our heart. And when asked, he will come in and give the healing that he alone can give. For there is no fire that is too hot for Jesus. Lesson number two. When you're away from home, obey God and leave the rationalizations to the devil. When you're away from home, obey God and leave the rationalizations to the devil. Listen carefully, please. These three men, all of whom were young adults, quite possibly college age, what we would consider today to be college age young adults, they were far from home. I mean, it was many days' journey back to where they used to live in Palestine. And Nebuchadnezzar had sent many raids over the years. We don't know exactly which raid it was that brought these three young back. Probably their homes were piles of rubble. Quite possibly their parents had been slaughtered or other family members. They were far from home. And what is true for anyone who goes far from home was undoubtedly true for them and perhaps for you as well as you are listening this morning. When you are far from home, there are new temptations. When you are far from home, you can feel lonely and you can be tempted to find a way to get rid of that lonely feeling. And consequently, all manner of temptations can come your way that perhaps wouldn't come your way if you were safe back home. And too often, when those temptations come, we can rationalize away obedience to God as though standing for Jesus and his truth would harm us rather than help us in that moment. 
Uh, we think to ourselves, when invited to do evil while we're far from home, I, I don't want to offend anybody. I, I'll just do thus and such, even though God commands me not to. He wouldn't want me to offend. Jesus wants me to love other people, and I don't want to be a, a, the, the squeaky wheel here in the group. It's just this once, we might think to ourselves. God will understand. And on and on the rationalizations can go. But the truth is, the truth is, that the path of obedience is the path of assurance. The path of obedience is the path to freedom, including freedom from fear. You know, laws that the world makes, sometimes they are helpful, sometimes they are not. There are some laws made in the world that can even eventually harm your very soul if you follow them. Sometimes families make bad rules. Sometimes schools, sometimes other organizations make rules that actually harm rather than help. But you never have to worry if you're obeying God. Because God's rules, God's laws are always for our benefit. They are always that we might be set free. True freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want. True freedom is the ability to choose and to do what is right. And if you're feeling uneasy because you are far away from home, I just want to encourage you, keep following Jesus. Stay true to Him. Whatever temptations come your way, by His grace, move past the temptations to do that, which in the end will only make you feel worse, and instead follow Jesus. No compromise, no rationalizations, and find the comfort and freedom that is found only there. And lesson number three, anywhere with Jesus is home sweet home. Anywhere. You know, one of the things I like best about this story is, is a part that I, I rarely hear talked about. It says that when Nebuchadnezzar looked into the furnace, he saw these, these, not just three, but four, walking around in the fire. It's a casual setting there in the furnace. It's almost like they're in Jesus' living room. He's showing the photos on the wall. Uh, this is Abraham and Sarah when I visited them a few years back. Okay, you see over here? It's a place of comfort. You know, at, at the very best, we should have looked in and see these guys, you know, dancing. Oh, ah, hot, ooh, ah, you know, like this. And instead, they're casually strolling around this place. The three friends appear to have all the comforts of home. They are basking, not baking. They are lounging, not lacking. They have French toast, not burnt toast. Their friends are nearby because Jesus is there. They are home. You know, the 1970s was a period of darkness. It was 10 years of fashion nightmare and bad music. But during the 1970s, there were a few bright lights. When I was a kid, uh, my, my folks, we had a record player and we played records on it. You all know what records are. It, Pieces of plastic with, yeah, grooves and stuff. Okay. Second service, I may have to give a little bit more explanation. There may be some that don't understand what this is, but you can go to the Smithsonian and still see them there. We had a record, and it was called It's Cool in the Furnace. And uh, I won't perform it in its entirety for you here this morning, but, but the, 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 the main chorus went like this. It isn't hot in the furnace. It isn't hot in the furnace. It isn't hot in the furnace. Man, this furnace is cool, 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 cool. And the verse went like this. That furnace was hot and glowing red. They thought we'd burn like homemade bread, but we didn't burn and we didn't run. And God just looked and said, well done. <laughs> it isn't hot in the furnace. Man, this furnace is cool. We didn't burn and we didn't run. And why? 
Because what started out as a trial by fire ended up with Jesus being there as a spiritual home like no other. New students, and anyone who is feeling far from home this morning, you may feel like you've been dropped off on the curb of a new place with all that is familiar and comforting driving off into the sunset. But this story of these three friends reminds us that even if you are walking through what seems like the fires of hell itself, if Jesus is walking there with you, inwardly it can be as cool as an air-conditioned living room, your living room, as though you were surrounded by family and friends with all the right sights and smells, for anywhere that Jesus is really is home sweet home. So welcome. Welcome to Pioneer. Welcome to Andrews. Welcome home.